Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive Home and Auto Policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Thank you all for making it. We're going to be the number one media conglomerate in the world. The key here is act like a happy family. We're the Osbournes, and I'm Daddy fucking Warbucks, okay? I always wanted one of you kids to take over. People would do well to remember there's going to be a new sheriff in town. Here's to us. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Succession, an unofficial podcast about the HBO series Succession. I'm Cedar writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson. Uh, so each week, if you are just joining us, each week we are discussing the latest episode of Succession. This week we will be discussing episode three, Hunting. We are trying something new this week. We're going to do a little bit of a countdown uh, this week of our top players to see sort of where they're sitting uh, in the succession struggle. Um, Richard, I'm really excited about number one. Number one made for a very... Very fun and exciting, uh, week. I believe, I believe the word he used was fruity. Very fruity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this was, I mean, our number one is obviously Logan, uh, for this week because it was his show. Um, yes. he had people oinking like pigs and was throwing sausages at people. And, um, it was quite a towering, uh, thing for the character, but also for Brian Cox, the actor. Um, he just really, took that full tilt and and carried that whole episode it was fascinating yeah yeah he just chewed it chewed it all up right Mm -hmm. um i always i think i've talked about this before but i always think of the characters on these shows as as lions and him particularly as like an old an old lion Mm -hmm. uh with a lot of roar still in him and it's interesting that the episode starts with this medical checkup right of this doctor being like so i hear you still have stiffness i still i hear you're like not doing super well and um you know that kind of thing whether intentional or not is something that Logan would see as a challenge of his virility. You know what I mean? Yep. And that coupled with a number of other things would be a reason for him to act out the way that he acts out in this episode. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this episode did a really good job of highlighting lo- the sort of, 
I guess the crassness of, of Logan and, and therefore sort of of his whole empire. Like, I think that there, there's a careful distinction made, um, about Pierce, about this other news company and the way that he speaks about the, the family that owns that company. And he, he seems to have a kind of chip on his shoulder about their, you know, m- maybe their, their sort of older money, snooty sort of thing. Um, so I think, but so I think this episode was kind of about that dynamic of, of like when someone is that rich and that powerful and yet still has this fear of seeming weak, you know, t- uh, in the eyes of, um, people who for whatever reason seem a little bit like holier than. So the main plot of this episode is about how Logan wants to take over, um, for PGN, which is the Pierce family's media conglomerate. Uh, the Pierce family, I believe, is meant to be based loosely on the Sulzberger family, which has owned the New York Times for generations, but they're this sort of like liberal, Conglomerate. Basically, you're supposed to think of what if Fox News took over the New York Times? That's what you're supposed to have in mind. And this episode is all about, uh, Logan trying to cement, uh, support, bring everyone in line. He brings Frank back in because of Frank's, uh, sort of appeal to the Pierces and they go on this hunting trip to Hungary to sort of get the whole team together. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say the production design on this whole, horror hungarian retreat was like so well done that 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 dinner where they were eating dinner in the dining room there was you know it had this these dark tones to it and it really felt like like logan was like mounting you know some sort of sneaky shakespearean attack you know like 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 killing banquo or something right um it was like really i think it was just like very well articulated um by by the production team. Yeah, like when they walk into that foyer first in in this estate, um, and even Logan's like, "Mon Dieu!" Like, like you know, just sort of like it's so gothic mm-hmm. and over the top and everything, and and this boar hunt, um, that they're on, and um, I love the the visual of the boar hunt being like basically like a trout run. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I mean, maybe that's how boar hunting is done. I, I personally have never been on a boar hunt. I don't know about you, Richard. Uh, <laughs> I certainly have not. But, um, you know, it makes sense that you would be want to be out of the way of the tusks, right? But, um, doesn't that just seem, I, I think Tom comments on it. It seems very unsportsmanlike the way that they, that they do it in this episode where it's just like, Oh, it's literally just like shooting. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, there's no, there's no sport. Yeah. To pigs it. in a barrel sort of thing. So, um, but then we get like the real hunting of the episode, um, is what happens in this dining room, um, as starting with his bullying of, uh, the character of Ray, uh, who just wants to go to the bathroom, uh, and, and leading towards him putting, uh, Greg and Tom and, uh, Carl on the floor in this game he's devised bore on the floor that somehow like it's just, it's an insane thing to, it feels like a surreal, uh, like Danish film. <laughs> like, I don't know what he would like. Yeah. Like, like, uh, what's that movie? Sallow. Yeah. Like, like that, that like ho- horrible Italian thing. Yeah. It just felt very like Von Trier. Like yes. it felt very, um, almost to the point of like over the top. Like it was almost too absurdist. Um, but, you know, I think the combination of them having just been on this, like, hunt and they're in this old castle and there's booze and everything. Like, I was like, well, I could maybe, if I squint, like, kind of see that actually happening. I have to imagine since so much of Succession is based on, like, real stories of rich people behaving badly, that 
someone has like whispered a story of this nature to Jesse Armstrong, who runs the show. Like, I feel like this has to have happened somewhere. Um, and I think they had to carefully pick who they would put on the floor in order to make it, you know, like, I don't think we would have bought it if it were like, certainly not Jerry or Sid or any of them, but like, or, or Kendall or Roy or, or Roman, but like Tom and Greg, and I guess Carl, (laughs) like, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think probably because he knew they would do it. Right. You know what I mean? The other thing that, that happens in that scene that I really like is, is him, uh, roaring, uh, about the price of a gallon of milk. Um, which, um, you know, is meant to indicate, we've talked about this before. You talk about the chip on his shoulder. He's got several chips on his shoulder, but one of his like sources of frustration, I think, um, is this idea that the children that he's raised or the people that he worked for him have no idea what it's like to be a real, you know, working class person in the world. And like, as much as he likes his excesses, he also takes this like smug superiority in like, I came, I built this myself and you soft assholes, like know nothing of the real world. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which is like, I wonder if part of the reason why he is thus far favoring Shiv to be his successor is because she has at least worked outside of the family. Right. Yeah. Like as a, as a political consultant kind of person. So like maybe there's a little bit of respect for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. But, and also like the reason he's interested, I think is the, is because she's the least under his thumb in that way. You know? Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. Connor, I guess is also, the least under his thumb, but like, he's not interested at all in Connor. So, you know, um, so we can hop over to Shiv in a second, who is like number two on our ranking, by the way, of Roy's, but, um, of powerful Roy's, but is there anything else you want to say about like Logan specifically, um, in this episode? Um, I, I guess like I'm, I'm really intrigued by the moments where in, in like Brian Cox's characterization and in the writing where we see a little softness where he's like, Oh, I'm kidding or whatever, you know, like, and I'm, 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 I'm intrigued whether the show thinks he's a sociopath. Do you know what I mean? I was just, I was listening to an episode of the Ron Burgundy podcast that Will Ferrell does. Uh-huh. I ran out of things to listen to in Fire Island. So I was getting desperate. And sure, sure. um he, Ron interviewed this, um you know, kind of, I think, forensic psychiatrist who testifies at trials. And, you know, he was talking about how there are a lot of people with, you know, uh, antipersonal social disorder, or whatever, you know, what the kind of like clinical t- term for sociopathy. And um, he was like, there are a lot of them in Fortune 500 companies. And so I just, I don't know, this episode made me curious if like the show really does think that he is this completely, um, you know, completely moralist person. Yeah, the other, um, the other question, and this was, I think, much more of a question in season one, though season opening with this medical examination, I think, calls into question this episode is like, how much of any of this is dementia? You know what I mean? There's no, there's not a mm-hmm. lot of sense from the people in that room, like who've worked with him for a long time, like Jerry or Frank, that this is tremendously new. Or erratic behavior, the way that like peeing on, uh, Kendall's office floor in season one was like demonstrably erratic behavior. So like this might be kind of par for the course for Logan, but there's also just that question of like, you know, you know, 
are all of his faculties intact? Would he do right. something like this if, you know, there, you know, I, I, I don't pretend to have any sort of clinical understanding of dementia. Um, I did live like through, uh, you know, a grandparent having it and there was a good deal of, um, anger. Mm-hmm. That goes with it because of this. Uh, it's understandable. It's like a, it's a frustration and a fear tied to like a loss of control, you know, and I could definitely see that manifesting in Logan just, you know, ext- as extreme aggression from him. So, um, all right. So that is, that is Logan, our, our number one Roy with a bullet. And if you are watching this video, Either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. Number two, Roy, is, uh, is Shiv. Siobhan, um... She gets tasked her, her sort of role in this episode is she's got a couple things. She's sent Tom to go try to kill this Pierce deal on her behalf. And then she's also been tasked by her father. She wants to go to Hungary. He's like, no, he wants her to go, uh, get Connor under control because Connor has made this video announcing, uh, his declaration, sort of declaration for presidency. Um, his desire not to pay tax, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah, he's playing chicken with the IRS. Right. So, so Shiv is on Connor patrol. She has sent, uh, you know, Tom to go, uh, you know, be her deputy in Hungary. Uh, and then she's trying to get at Connor through Willa. And then she winds up, uh, sleeping with an actor that Willa knows. And then at the end, she has this conversation with Tom. And at the very end, you know, Logan's like, it's time to bring you in. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is everything she's wanted. So, so, uh, we feel like this is Shiv, Shiv ascendant, uh, in this episode. Yeah. Big time. And I think that this episode was great at showing, um, 
how she works, you know, like, yeah, because obviously everyone has an angle here and there's a, there's different strategies, you know, Roman is sort of sniveling and mean and petty. Uh, Kendall like tries to sort of take the high road, but also, you know, did the betrayal thing. So, but Shiv is a much quieter, smoother background player, you know, mm-hmm. and like, um, I just loved at the end her little smile and, you know, cause, uh, her father saying, you know, no one was with me. You know, I'm hearing it for all this about, you know, not wanting to do the, um, the Pierce deal or whatever. And she says, you didn't hear it from me. Basically saying like, I, but it's like, but she had dispatched Tom to go, kind right. of, you know, kill it. So I just think it was like a really clever, um, way of showing her, her process. And, and also I think that detailing the sort of mechanics of this, you know, one night stand with this actor guy was also a good sort of, um, I don't know, like allegorical way to kind of express um, the way that she kind of traffics in betrayal, I guess, even though it's not technically a betrayal in their marriage. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was a really interesting episode for her and, and Sarah Snook as ever was, was wonderful. Yeah. I, I particularly loved like her manipulation of Tom is ongoing. Um, and we actually got a listener email about that, which I will, uh, post to you in a second. But, um, I really liked the interaction with Willa, Connor's girlfriend, and how you see her trying to like work Connor from that angle. It's the same, mm-hmm. it's the same exact play, uh, you know, only with a different player, you know, different deputy, um, and trying to, fr- and just asking, she gets there so quickly asking like three questions to get to a point where she's like, it's in your best interest if Connor doesn't run for president because it will suck up his resources, resources that you want for your own theatrical career. Like that she got there so fast and, you know, Will is not entirely stupid and sort of sees where she's coming from, but it's still like interesting to watch Shiv play that way, you know? Yeah. And I think that like, in a way, I I think that Shiv sort of still thinks she's a nice person, whereas I feel like everyone else has completely divested themselves of that delusion, you know? Um, and I think it would be kind of to the point where she would be shocked if someone were to suggest that she was kind of cruelly manipulating Connor's girlfriend, you know? Right. Um, uh, so I, I, I think, again, it's a really interesting characterization because I think we were talking about it in the first episode of this season that, like, for some people, myself included, the tendency is to sort of see the, 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 the moral stance, the decency, the, the, the compassion in a female character, you know? And, and I think that this, this show is con- continually sort of like illustrating that, no, she is of this family just as much as anyone else is. We got a, an email from a listener, Martha. You can email us still watching pod at gmail.com. If you have questions, comments, we got a nice, um, uh, pronunciation correction. Thank you guys so much for writing in, honestly, um, saving me, but, um, Martha writes, would be interested to learn how you understand Shiv's decision to marry Tom just doesn't make sense to me. And, and I feel like we, we definitely talked about this already. Cause I like sort of said something similar and I thought your point was good in terms of like Shiv needs someone that she knows is on her side. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because like it seems like Tom is her intellectual inferior, like her inferior in every way. So why would she want an inferior when she could have someone, you know, to match her and um and you're saying she needs someone who's just like on her side can you know make maneuvers for her they talk about the team uh but in this episode i just think it's interesting to see like some some you know we'll we'll get to where tom is on our ranking but some of the limits of that team uh and, and whether or not shiv is going to blithely push 
the team to the breaking point, you know, push Tom too far. Um, I could see her doing right. it without realizing it at all. Yeah. I mean, she made that, she made the joke about, you know, the replicant and like, oh, my, my meat puppet's yeah. broken or whatever. Yeah. And he was clearly actually hurt by that. Yeah. And then she's like, kind of like a father. Oh, I was just kidding. I was just kidding, you know, and, and I, yeah, I think that there is certainly a limit to that, um, to, to, you know, even for someone as kind of craven and sniveling as Tom, like there, you know, there is a, there is a, a point, a breaking point, I would think. Yeah. It's, um, but it, but it's like, it's so funny because for someone who's like pretty good at playing things, uh, like she doesn't, she doesn't fully get there with Willow because Connor releases the video anyway. So like, you know, she didn't, she didn't succeed in that task. No. Um, but for someone who's like pretty good generally at playing the game, um, it's like, it feels like she overestimates her ability to push Tom around or she might do, you know? Right. Like, I mean, again, like, I think that she would be surprised if someone told her she was a mean person. Right. You know, exactly. and be sort of taken aback by it. And it's like, no, you're, I mean, you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Our number three Roy, uh, is, I mean, he's, he's, he was already climbing last week. Um, it's Kendall Roy. Uh, so as much it's this is a really interesting thing to watch because as much as, uh, Jeremy Strong, who plays, uh, Kendall Roy is still doing like the sort of zonked out zombified version of him. Mm-hmm. he's still making incredible moves. Like in this episode, I didn't catch it the first time I watched it, but when I rewatched it, it's like when you watch that opening, you know, sort of Logan comes in, announces that they're going to go after Pierce. He walks out and then Kendall's like, Kendall's like, Oh, this could be a reputational and financial disaster. How is everyone feeling? And Roman's like, what, 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 are, what, are, what are you doing? And like, he gets, like he gets intel from he gets everyone's honest reaction and then they sort of see that he's like listening too closely or whatever and then they all sort of lockstep and are like no no no, we're into it it's fine Mm -hmm. but then he has that information and then later he's like they're all against you dad like they're all against you um and then you know similarly what he does with roman like when he comes and has this one-on-one with roman um he offers up his belly a little to like talk about the biographer, uh, which we'll get to probably in, in Greg's, uh, storyline, but like he offers up his belly a little bit to Roman and at the same time pays acute attention when Roman gets on the phone and then has that information later when he grabs Roman's phone. And so like, you know, he's, he's, uh, you know, underestimate Kendall at your peril this season, I think is, is what we've learned. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, you're certainly seeing the resilience of his ruthlessness, you know, and his, um, will to power. Um, you know, cause the thing about the failed takeover attempt in, at the end of last season was that, like, it almost worked. So, yeah. like, you have to be very shrewd and good at calculating that kind of stuff to even get that close, you know? Um, and so he's, yeah, he's good at it. He's a natural. And I think now he's playing this angle where, by by some turns it could look like the sort of you know he's been put to heel like you were saying like like kind of chat you know chastised kind of pet of 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 his father now but within that sort of public identity i guess there is a certain there is latitude that, that you know there is a power to that um because it means you're close to him it you know i think that that Lo- logan is basically just like well he's never going to fuck up again he's never going to do that again and it's like you know well i i wouldn't i wouldn't assume that maybe there was such an interesting posture um when um there's there's a point where Kendall is sort of like grilling Roman at dinner and um 
Logan has is like standing behind him with mm-hmm. his arms on his shoulders. And it's just like such an interesting like positioning. I don't know. I was just like, really taken with it. I'm not even sure I, I fully understand what I feel like it means, but it's just sort of like, I will team up with whoever against whoever at any point. That's a Logan move. Right. Um, and at yeah. that moment, you know, it was him and Kendall against Roman, you know? And- I, 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 yeah, I think it was a couple things. I think it was, it was by, by, from one angle, a, a sign of affection in a way, as much as he can express that. Yeah. I think also it may be sort of telegraphed to Roman, like, look what I did to your brother. Look at this, like, broken Broken. down lackey. Yeah. Do you want to be this person? You know, like, I think it was sort of, he was, there was a gesture in that, like, where he was indicating to Roman, like, like, I've got this guy now, you know, basically beaten down and in my pocket. Like, don't you, do you want to be the next one? Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Um, all right. Which brings us, uh, to our number four, Roy, which is Connor Roy, uh, who has soft, like soft declared himself, uh, in the presidential race. I think it's like in the, what, in the intellectual race or something like that, yeah, like some yeah. sort of, uh, terminology. And I'm so, so I'm curious. I'm going to, I'm going to lob out three things that I thought of when I saw, uh, Connor's video and you tell me if I miss anything. Uh, I thought of the Kevin Spacey video for some reason. I thought of the Elizabeth Warren video, and I think that's because he was holding the beer bottle. I'm not sure how the timing lines up for that Elizabeth Warren sort of like uh, announcement video that she did in her kitchen with a bottle of beer. Um, and then I thought of the, there's the Mark Zuckerberg video that he also did in his kitchen, like near a, a toaster, um, talking about sort of like, your know. knowledge of like <laughs> celebrity kitchen videos. Impressive. Well, I just remember them all, like all of them, even Elizabeth Warren, who's like, I'm, I love Liz. Like I support Liz, but like that, that video didn't go over well, over well with Warren, Kevin Spacey. That's like an, uh, a known disaster. Right. And then, um, and then Mark Zuckerberg, he just seemed so um animatronic. It was like yeah. yeah, it was really it was really bad. Um are there any other celebrity kitchen videos or political kitchen videos that you can think of that we're evoking I here? I I can't. I think that that's I my my guess is that yeah, they're trying to evoke at least two of those um in Warren and Zuckerberg. Um but yeah, I mean I I think it's it's tricky when you have a character like this and something like that video where you want it to be funny, but it has to seem like it's something that someone would actually put out in real life. So I appreciated right. that they didn't make him too much of a buffoon. I right. mean, he like clearly is a complete idiot. And the idea that he, this like extraordinarily wealthy man who's never really worked, has some sort of righteous, you know, cause behind taxation. It's like absurd, of course. Um, but I, I appreciated that they didn't make it too cartoony. I, I, I could see you know, some scion of some big American family making something like that out here in the real world. And that, I mean, that's why I, you know, this is not a spoiler because if it happens, I bet it happens in season three But like, I feel so certain that he's going to be president. Like I feel so certain <laughs> about this. Uh, possibly. The real world has broken your sense of uh, <laughs> political faith. Well, yeah, but I just feel like it has like everything he does has to look like kind of ridiculous to us. But then like in retrospect, if he gets elected, it can't be like so ridiculous that we don't believe you know, ha- I mean, like you said, the real w- world has made it so that you'd have to push the needle like pretty far on that but i don't yeah. know it's fascinating um 
the and and maybe he'll win with Shiv as his campaign manager uh because you know if things don't work out with the family business he that's what he's basically offered her right like come run my campaign and she's like hell no but also i could just i could see that happening as well and shiv just like winning the campaign for her brother that just seems like a, a thing that that the plot would have to bend to get to but could get to you know so, right i mean um, like the thing is we haven't really seen on the show yet, how the video went over, you know, right. like obviously rich, well-educated people who, you know, are, I guess, have the luxury of irony, like think it's stupid and funny, but like, I don't know. A lot of people would be like that, that rich guy is good. Like going to risk going to jail. So I don't have to pay taxes. Okay. You know, like there's, there's, there's probably a power to that. So I'll be curious to see um if, if that video is remembered in the next few episodes. Yeah. And I think that like Willa's reaction of like, I don't know. I think it looks pretty good is like meant to stand in for, mm-hmm. you know, what, what the average American might be like. I don't know. Um, I do really love, it's funny. Cause like he, he's, he's giving that speech to Shiv about like looking down on the elites. And I was like, looking down on the elites. And then she flags it. She's like, don't you think? If you're looking down at the elites, that's indicative of something. And I was yeah. like, thanks, Shiv. Yes. Uh, he needs you on his team. Anyway. Uh, so yeah. So Connor, I mean, he's in the, he's in it to win it. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's, it's such the American narrative right now that like, of course, the idiot that everyone discounts is the one who actually is, you know, us on their way to incredible power, you know? So I, I think you're probably onto something there. Right. And I think the temptation to, um, to examine how a media family, a family that owns a Fox News analog could influence the election through the media would be impossible for, um, you know, for, for this show to ignore. Um, there is, you know, we should say that Logan, you know, is, is interested in that video not going out because he says, you don't go shouting about tax. We have arrangements. Um, and we know mm-hmm. that, uh, he has a close, uh, relationship with, um, the president. Uh, they never name him. It doesn't seem to be Trump. They just call him like in season one, they called him like President Raisin and they also referred to him being out in California. So I just think he's like, a. I don't think it's supposed to be Trump. I think it's supposed to be something else uh, entirely. Um, and, and like also how interesting that, that Connor uh, made his declaration on Instagram. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, it's a brave new, brave new world. Um, which brings us to uh, Greg, cousin Greg who is on our regular Roy rankings, even if his last name, I think, is not Roy. Um, Greg is up here only for, like, his amazing ability to survive what starts the episode as, like, a disastrous thing, right? He meets with this. There's a biographer played by the great Jessica Hecht, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, youngsters may know as Susan from Friends. Um, I always think of her from her role on The Single Guy, which was a short-lived NBC sitcom, but she's also, she's a great theater actress. Um, she's wonderful on the, uh, Netflix show Ryan O'Connell created, uh, special. Yes. She plays his mom. She's great on that. She's amazing on Breaking Bad. She's just like, when she shows up, she's one of those people where I'm just like, oh, oh, 
Hi. Uh, so here she is. She's playing a, uh, a biographer who is writing uh, a book that uh, Logan does not want written about him. And we open with Greg meeting with her uh, and not understanding um, what on the record, off the record background means, um, which was a great scene. Uh, it reminded me, I'm always looking for like, what's the real world uh, analog here? And, uh, you know, sometimes we're overreaching. Like I might be overreaching with that Mark Zuckerberg video. Who knows? But, uh, I thought of there was that interview with, um, Kellyanne Conway and her husband. Um, I want to say it was in the Times or maybe the Post, uh, where Kellyanne Conway kept retroactively saying that's off the record. And they like wrote it because they're like, well, you can't say after the fact that's off the record. So that's not how that works. Um, so yeah, so, so Greg got a crash course in how that works, but, but this should have been the end of Greg. This was like a huge blunder for him. Logan's on the warpath. He's set, uh, I think, uh, the character's named Ratfucker Sam, uh, to figure out who has been talking to this biographer. And Greg, just by dint of like keeping his head down, makes another error, possibly asking Tom for help. Cause Tom's like, you just gave me a huge piece of info, buddy. Why would, why you, do that? Why yeah. would you do that? And then he's one of the boars on the floor and somehow like, you know, gets out of that alive. Like it's just, uh, just his Greg's remarkable resiliency, cockroach like mm-hmm. ability to survive. Uh, even, even the crazy situations puts him smack in the middle of our, uh, our countdown here yeah he got himself on the plane too you know like he, he's on the private jet with the, the the top brass like that's that's kind of you know impressive if, even if he is um you know a blood relative um but yeah I, I thought that that scene with him and tom was so good and uh it's fun watching again with something that's not too cartoony he's believably kind of clueless but um watching him sort of slowly figure out uh, the machinations and, and how, how that world works. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a funny character, but I think there's something sort of sorrowful about it too. Like a, like a corruption of him? Well, no, just like he's kind of an innocent. I mean, obviously he's done a couple underhanded things, but like, I don't know. I just think that like you, I just have this kind of idea of like if he just like walked away now, he'd be fine. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, and I really love that scene with Tom because he's like, can I trust you? And Tom's like, yeah, up to a point. And then immediately goes, never trust anyone, buddy. And I'm just like, that is, that's a lesson. That's a lesson that he learned, uh, right there. And then he thanks Tom, but like, what did Tom do? Just like, not explicitly rat him out, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, also he had, I loved his line about like, I feel like a rich white, like band or whatever. Like, I feel like you too, I think is what he says <laughs> yeah, that's good. On, the, on the private jet. It's a good line. Uh, anything else you want to say about long, tall Greg, uh, this week? No, I think, I think, you know, good, good on him for just kind of, I mean, it's hard for him to, to lay low cause he's so tall, but, um, you know, <laughs> he did a good job of getting out of the way. I would say. All right. That brings us to number six on our Roy ranking list. Uh, that is, uh, poor Tom, who has very, very tough week this week. Um, though he's down here on the, on the power ranking. Um, I want to put Matthew McFadden at like the top of my performance ranking because he just does, he has so many incredible scenes where he's like, he's so passive, but he's so trying 
and and understands the game. Like he's so passive, but understands the game at the same time. So Shiv has asked him to, on her behalf, sort of uh convince her father that going after Pierce is not the way to go. And Tom's like, this is this is career suicide for me. I don't want to be the one to do this. Like th- that's terrible. Um, so you see him, this is maybe my favorite scene is him going up to Carl and trying to talk to Carl, convince Carl. Uh, that Carl should be the one to do it. And, and then Carl's like, Oh, that's interesting. And brings Jerry over. And Jerry's like, Yeah, we talked to Shiv. Shiv says, You're doing it. And like, all, they're like, Oh, that could be cool. Oh, I could do it. Sure. It was it's such, nice. a, it's no big such deal. a good scene. It's so We're like, good. Oh, well, I guess, I mean, should we do it? Maybe we should. But then again, <laughs> yeah, you are family. family. You know? yeah. It's so funny. It's um, really, really good. Yeah. And he was like, I think, yeah, that's what he says. Uh, he called me the cunt of Monte Cristo. And then Jerry's like, Oh, but that's a compliment, you know, your family. He was joshing, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. So yeah, so you see Tom or like when Tom goes up to Logan and he's like, um, okay, well, I'm about to say a thing, but I don't mean the thing, but I'm about to say it, but like, just ignore it. But like, I'm about to say it. <laughs> You're just like, uh, and then of all the boars on the floor, like he was my favorite. I don't know. It's just like, he's just, he's, he's the key to the show for me for some reason, because like, there's one thing to show, well, as you were talking about at the beginning of this episode, there's like different, different modes of power, Kendall's mode, Roman's mode, blah, blah, blah. And Tom's, it's just so weird and hard to hold on to. Like the Midwestern nice coupled with the like sharky instincts and the haplessness combined with sort of the, the hits he does score, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. impossible to like put him in a box. And that's what makes him always so interesting for me to watch. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, to back to the survivor, you know, comparisons, it's like, that's another strategy is to be so incompetent that someone thinks that you are seemingly incompetent. So someone's like, well, I'll just bring them to the end. Cause like, there's no, no way they're winning, you know? Right. Uh, and sometimes those people win. So I, I think that like there, there again is a power in the way that people underestimate him. Um, and I think that what I really love about the character, um, is that he's the closest, it's the best example we have of what this radioactive, like, nuke family core does to someone who comes from, in, from the outside, you know? Mm, yeah. Like, like, obviously the Roy kids are steeped in all of this and they, they all have their problems and they're, and they're bad in, in, in various, you know, ways. But like, it's innate to them. It's they, they, it, they're inured to it. Before we leave Tom, we of course have to uh, talk about, uh, another interaction that he had with the wonderful Sid Peach, uh, at breakfast where she says, I'll eat your sausage, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I, cause I, cause the whole episode, like there is Jeannie Berlin in the background and she didn't get to say much. And I was like, why, how dare you put Jeannie Berlin in the show, you know, in, in an episode and have her just stand there. And then. It was like, oh, well, it was just for that one line. It was completely and it was like worth, worth it. it. <laughs> the wait There's was another worth it. line that he has. Uh, I'm trying to see if I, if I wrote it down, um, where he's talking about Hungary and he's like, uh, Europe, vampire, oh like so good. racist. Like I forget, I forget everything that he says, but it's like, oh yeah, war torn, spooky, vampire, authoritarian yeah, Europe. Uh, <laughs> it's so, <laughs> so good. good. So, yeah, uh, Tom towards the bottom, but Matthew McFadden, uh, who plays Tom at the top. All right. Number seven on the Roy ranking, mm-hmm. the last of our, like, reg- our core family members, uh, is Roman, 
who made a huge tactical error. He thought yeah. he swung big. Basically, he 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 had a loss last week, right? When Kendall sort of outmaneuvered maneuvered him with Volter, and uh, and so he thought he would get one over this week by using uh, his girlfriend's connections to Naomi Pierce, who's a member of the Pierce family. Uh, to try to sort of directly start soft, soft, uh, offering, sort of float something. And it tremendously backfires. Um, basically he reaches out, uh, and, you know, gets seemingly a rejection from her. And also it seems she then told her family and the family then reached out through other channels and was like, hell no, we don't want this. And, uh, mm-hmm. so it's a huge tactical error and Kendall exposes him for it. Uh, and we see him at the end of the episode, just like completely debased, uh, infantilized. Jerry is, uh, Jerry and Roman, my favorite, uh, power couple on the show. Uh, Jerry has to like button his shirt for <laughs> him, uh, you know, and tells him that like in order to impress his father, he might have to enroll in the, in the management program, start at the bottom and go back up to the top. Uh, this is where we saw Greg at the beginning of season one, if that's any reference to you, the management program. Uh, so, uh, yeah. What do you, what do you think of our boy, our boy Roman in this episode? Yeah. I mean, it was a big, obvious mistake. I was curious what the business was with the two cell phones, you know, like, um, I, I thought maybe there was a sort of extra layer to the whole thing and maybe there still is yet to come, but, um, but yeah, it was, um, I just, that character, that yet again, another interesting character where it's like, I don't always know what, what the show thinks he is or, 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 or what Kieran Culkin thinks he is, which I mean, just, which is fascinating. He really keeps you on your toes. Then we also had the thing brought up with the girlfriend about like how they don't have sex. And it's like, okay, so they're still kind of referencing that aspect of his personality that hasn't really gone, gone explored. So, um, I remain curious to watch him kind of try to climb out of this. Yeah. Um, the thing I do appreciate about Roman is he is always, he is o- seemingly always on to Kendall. Like he is so yeah. wary of Kendall and he has every right to be. Um, and so it's, uh, it's just very, very interesting. So yeah, we'll see. And he's also, I mean, obviously there was some stuff in this episode, but like he's a lot more honest than a lot of the other ones, you know? He does sort of come out and say what he's feeling and he does sort of like almost like tell people what he's going to do. Not always, obviously, but like, I don't know. He, I feel like in all of his sort of, um, you know, calculation, he's one thing he is, he's not very secretive, I guess, which I guess me, I guess is a virtue when we're looking at relatively speaking, when looking at these, he's people. also on the back foot here because, um, this decision, you know, let's, let's, we, we have, we decided to put like a wild card slot at the bottom of our ranking. This is just something we've put together, folks. Uh, you know, one non-member of the family and how they're doing. And this, this week belongs to Frank, the return of Frank, who was such a key figure in season one. And they have brought back into, uh, the fold because his sort of erudite, uh, manner is appealing to the Pierce's, the Pierce family. He's the one person that the people from that family liked about people at, you know, Waystar right. They called him Bor Vidal and also Shakespeare Frank. <laughs> um, and, and in order to sort of make, you know, make good with him, uh, Logan gave him a watch with, uh, a Tennyson quote on it that Frank immediately knew the, you know, completion of and stuff like that. So like, mm-hmm. uh, this is, this is Frank's function, but this is a huge, uh, blow to Roman. It's a reason why Roman is acting, I think, 
so erratically because Frank was Kendall's close ally. And, um, and he and Roman never got along. Like in the first episode of season one, Logan fires Frank as a, sh- like as a show to Roman that like, you know, Roman wants him gone because he and Frank have like bad history. Uh, so to bring Frank back in, Roman's like, no, this is bad for me in every way. So I think that's why he acts, uh, desperately a bit in this episode. Um, but we want Frank on here because like Frank comes in is sort of they they uh, Logan sucks up to him then completely debases him and then we get this mm-hmm. scene at breakfast the next morning where Jerry's like why like after that like why are you coming back you know and he just says like a bunch of different things you know he's like baby needs new shoes like you know you know old habits or whatever like a bunch of cliches just sort of like i don't know i got to hire a hitman yeah. to, it's to kill someone in palermo <laughs> yeah like whatever it is and then at the end of the episode he delivers something he you know the pierce family is like uh no we don't want any of your <laughs> business overtures um and then but then frank through back channels gets um it, you know an email from Rhea Durrell, who is i think their ceo uh this is the character holly hunter's playing uh, who said like, maybe I can help you out. Let's make a deal sort of thing. Uh, so we'll see where mm-hmm. that goes, but that's, that's Frank proving immediately proving his worth, right? Scoring a win for the family after Roman fucked this other thing up. So. Yeah. Yeah. And anything that, you know, paves the, the way for Holly Hunter to show up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, so that, that is our ranking. Frank, you know, Frank is a rather pathetic figure in this episode, but he does end the episode with a win. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about um, before we sign off this week? I guess I did have a yeah. question about who was the person who they said, oh, this is the person talking to the biographer and they just died. Oh, Mo. So Mo is like an old family friend. So we start the episode um where uh he has like one to two weeks left to live or something right and he's like remind me in two weeks or whatever but we have you met have we met that character before no it's not a character we've seen i think from context it you know just like an old family friend um right. i think okay. so um who is dead now so we'll well, r.i.p mo r.i.p mo uh i guess the last thing that i want to say before we go is just a shout out to danny houston who's like uh oh yeah climbed on board as uh the season as the family banker uh and just has some great lines like i burned villages and overthrown governments on your behalf <laughs> you know like just really bring in the like game of thronesiness to uh to all of this so well, he also said i hate to be the party pooper but i have poop <laughs> yeah yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. And then he all of a sudden looked like, oh my god, did I just say that? <laughs> he like caught himself. It was really yeah. great. It was pretty good. So, uh, you know, shout out there. Um, all right. So that is it for us, uh, this week. Please do email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about succession. Until next time, Richard, where can people find you? I'm going to be roaming old vampire Europe. And actually, that's literally true. I'll be in, in Venice at the Venice Film Festival. So uh, <laughs> excited about that. Um, but yeah, I'll be tweeting at Art Rylaws and writing for VF.com. Joanna, where will you be before uh, until we uh, visit the uh, the Roy's again? Uh, I will be hyper decanting some Cabernet Sauvignon oh, in my I Vitamix. About that. So crazy. <laughs> that's a real thing. You can look that up, guys. Uh, or you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This or on VanityFair.com. And we will see you next time.
We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.